The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That sounds like a really nice, pious, religious thing to say. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It sounds like a very Christian thing to say. Heaven will be great. It will be wonderful to eat at the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom, which has no end. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. When this fellow says this statement, Jesus is at a dinner with some Pharisees. This story has been going on for a little while, all the way back at the beginning of Luke chapter 14. He's at dinner on a Sabbath with some Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, of course, you know, are quite skeptical of Jesus. And when he came to this dinner, they were watching him carefully. They're always watching for him to trip up. They're always watching to catch him in a trap. But Jesus is not the kind of person who can be trapped. In fact, he comes out sort of with guns blazing. When he enters into this dinner with the Pharisees, the first thing he does is he notices that there's a fellow there who's sick. <coughs> it's the Sabbath, and according to the Pharisees, there are lots and lots of things you shouldn't do on the Sabbath, including heal the sick. But Jesus brings it right to their attention, and he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, we tend to be a little bit more polite when we're invited over to dinner. We don't start with saying controversial, scandalous things. We don't talk about religion and politics, right? We don't do that when we go to dinner. Jesus comes to dinner, and what's the first thing he does? He puts his finger right in their side and says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, what's striking about the Pharisees is that they can't answer this question. This is perhaps the easiest question you could be asked. In another gospel, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus puts it this way. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? or to do evil? Is it lawful to heal or to hurt? The answer is obvious. It's lawful to do good. It's lawful to heal. That's what the Sabbath is for, for doing good and not for doing evil. But the Pharisees can't answer the question. 
They can't answer the question because they are fools. They're fools who have their minds and hearts fixed on things of this world. They have their minds and hearts fixed on the present. Which changes how you hear what this fellow says. When he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, did you notice that he's talking about something in the future? That will be great one day to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, but what's that got to do with my life right now? The Pharisees were very happy to believe in the kingdom of God so long as they could live in their kingdom right now. If the kingdom of God was something far off in the distant future, that's fine so long as we get to have our kingdom right now. Heaven is great. It'll be a wonderful place someday, but let me live my life on earth right now. The fear of the Lord, that sounds like a wonderful, important thing. I will fear God one day as long as I don't have to do it right now. I once had somebody tell me that they were planning to come to church once they retired once they had more time on their hands. What does that tell you about how you think about the future and the present? Now, the Pharisees are fools, but generally they don't look like fools. They look like very religious people, very pious, well-put-together people who dot their I's and cross their T's, just like this fellow who thinks he's saying something wonderfully profound. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But beneath that surface, beneath that veneer, is folly, foolishness. And Jesus won't have it. He's going to tell a story. He's going to tell a parable in response to this fellow. But one of the things that Jesus is trying to draw to their attention, which they cannot see, is that whenever Jesus is with you, the kingdom of God is present. It's not some far-off, distant future thing, but it's something that is here right now. When you eat bread with Jesus, as they were doing at that dinner in the house of the Pharisees, they were eating bread in the kingdom of God, and they didn't even realize it. They wanted it to be something far off in the distant future, and they missed that it was something happening right now. Later, the Pharisees will ask Jesus, when can we expect the kingdom of God to come? And Jesus answers them, it won't come in ways that you expect, not in ways that you can observe so that people will say, look, here it is, or there, there it is. Instead, he says, the kingdom of God is among you. The Pharisees were fools because they didn't recognize that the kingdom of God was in their midst. They were happy to believe in some future in the kingdom of God, so long as it didn't have any bearing on their life right now. And so Jesus tells this parable. He begins this way. He says, a man gave a great banquet and invited many. So you invite people to the party while you're making preparations. This isn't sort of like a save the date for a year from now that you might forget. It's while the preparations are being made, here's the invitation, get yourself ready to come so that when everything is prepared, you're ready to come to the feast. So the servant went around and offered the invitation and folks either accepted or declined. And then when everything was ready, When everything was prepared, the servant went out again to say, okay, now is the time. Now is the time to come into the feast. And he went to people who had accepted the invitation. But what did he find? He ends up at one man's house, and instead of finding him at the ironing board, pressing his slacks and picking out a tie, he finds him sitting at a table with some lawyers and some real estate agents because he's just bought a field. That's not the kind of thing you do if you're planning on going to a banquet. If you're planning on going to a banquet, you don't worry about transacting real estate right now. You do that on another day. Today's the day of the banquet. You're getting ready for the banquet. 
He goes on to the other fellow, another fellow who's been invited, and this fellow says, I got five yoke of oxen that I just bought, and I'm on my way to inspect them right now. That's like buying a whole fleet of trucks. This isn't like something he did just on a whim. This is something he knew he was going to do. And so when he accepted the invitation, he knew he wasn't going to the party. He accepted the invitation not really thinking that this was something that had any bearing on his life right now. And so when the call comes, now everything is ready, he's busy. He's got other things going on. Then, of course, there's the third fellow. And this fellow doesn't even ask to be excused. He assumes that he's got a, a get-out-of-jail-free card here. I've married a wife, and I can't come. If you don't buy a fleet of trucks on a whim, you don't get married on a whim. If you're going to get married, you don't plan that wedding on the same day as the banquet, or at least you don't expect to go to the banquet if you're planning to get married on that day. Two parties is too many. He accepted the invitation, but then when the call came to come, he was not ready. He would not go. These folks, these three folks, were fine with an invitation to some future banquet, a party off in the distance that had no bearing on their life right now. And the result was that when the call came to come to the party, that everything was now ready, they were too busy. They missed the banquet. Now, this may seem like kind of a trivial example. Like, maybe the master of the feast shouldn't get so bent out of shape out of people having other things going on. People are busy, right? They have lives to live, and if they don't want to go to this party, that's just fine. But it serves as a warning to us, because, of course, we've been invited to a banquet, and that banquet is being prepared for us, and the call is coming, that everything is now ready. So the warning for us is to live our lives right now, as people who are going to a banquet. Live your lives now as people who are going to the banquet. Another way to put it would be this. Live your lives right now as people who are already citizens of heaven. Heaven is not something in your far-off distant future, something imperceptible and something remote, something you might enjoy someday. Heaven is right now because you, by faith, believe in the gifts of God through Christ Jesus. This is what St. John said. It's startling to hear it. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. That's past tense. It happened already. We have passed out of death into life. It's not something that's going to happen one day. It's something that has already happened. So the life that you live right now is the life of a citizen of heaven. The life that you live right now is the life of people who are on your way to the banquet, just waiting for that call to come. Now everything has been prepared. Everything is ready. Enter into the joy of your master. Live your lives right now as people who are going to a banquet. There are two ways that I think we can do this in really practical, tangible ways. The first has to do with worship, and the second has to do with love. So if you think about what it means to be a citizen of heaven, you could ask yourself, what is life going to be like in heaven? What is life going to be like in heaven? In heaven, we will be wholly devoted to the worship of God. If that's what life will be like in heaven, shouldn't our lives like, reflect that right now? Now, if when you hear the word worship, you think about what we're doing right here, that's good. That's good. To gather together on a Sunday morning and sit in some pews and sing hymns and conduct the liturgy and celebrate the Lord's Supper and hear a sermon, that is part of our life of worship. But that's not, if you think 24-7 sitting in a pew, that doesn't sound great. That's not what heaven really means, right? That's not what worship really means. Worship is something that originates in your heart, and we manifest that life of worship together as a church in this way, receiving God's gifts. But your life, your whole life, 
ought to be a life of worship. Here's how St. Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 3. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed called in one body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let your hearts be ruled by Christ's peace and not by anything else. And be thankful, he says. Above all, put on love. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So there's a lot of gratitude that comes from a life of worship because, of course, a heart that knows what God has done for it is grateful, cannot help but be grateful because the gift of God is salvation and eternal life, passing from death into life, the forgiveness of sins covered by the blood of Christ. Live as people who are thankful, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's how we live a life of worship. Whatever you do, in word or deed, live as people of God. Do it all to the glory of God, to the praise and honor of God. That doesn't mean that you must go about singing hymns all day, although if you did that, that would be okay. But it does mean that in everything you do, you think about glorifying God. That is what life will be like in heaven, and that's how we should live our lives now. We should also live our lives in love. So a life of worship has to do with the first and greatest commandment which God gives to us. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. But he says there's a second commandment, which is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Think about one of the great joys of heaven, which will be perfect love. You will be perfected in love. So just as we struggle now in this life to trust God wholly, to give him full worship and devotion and honor him with our lives, so also we struggle to love. We struggle to love one another. But we can exercise ourselves in that love right now, preparing ourselves for that banquet when we will be perfected in love. Here's how St. John put it. He said, By this we know love, that Christ laid down his life for us. When we want to know what life will look like in heaven, we look at Jesus. Perfect love, willing to lay down his life for his brothers. So too we also ought to sacrifice for one another in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. Now, when the the folks who didn't take the invitation seriously, when they rejected that invitation, when they rejected the call to come into the banquet, the story wasn't over. That wasn't the end of the story. Here's what happened next. The master was angry, and rightly so, Although those folks received his wrath, they were not permitted to enter into the banquet at all or enjoy his graciousness whatsoever. He used their rejection as an opportunity to show the depths of his mercy. So he sent out his servant and he said to him, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Fill my seats. Fill my banquet with all of those people. The outcasts, and the poor, and the lowly, and the humble, the people who have nothing going for them, the people who do not expect to be invited, bring them in. And once that's done, the servant comes back and he says, great, we got got all of those people, but there is still room. And the master says, okay, go out into the highways and the hedges. The highways are the place of vagabonds and travelers, and the hedges are places where people hide themselves when they are ashamed or they're afraid of being caught. Go out into those places and compel the people to come. Why do they need to be compelled? Because they can't possibly believe that this would be for them. 
that this invitation would be for them. These are the kinds of people that the master brings into his banquet. These are the kinds of people that God brings into his kingdom. The poor and the lowly, the humble and dejected, those who have nothing going for them, those who make no claims for themselves, don't, those who don't think that they have better things to do or better things in this life to pursue, those are the people who enter into the kingdom of God. And so when we think about living our lives now as citizens of heaven, we should ask ourselves, what kinds of people enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's the humble. It's those who don't claim anything for themselves, those who aren't proud, those who trust completely in the word of the master, who can't believe it except that he said it. Likewise, we can't believe that God would bring us into his kingdom except that he did it for us, pouring out Jesus' blood on the cross. That is our only hope. And that is what makes us just like those people on the highways and in the hedges, the poor, the lowly, the outcast, because the only thing we have to claim is Christ's blood. And as you go about your life, living a life of love, and you think about your neighbors and your friends and your family who don't know about Jesus' love, think about this parable as well. Because just as we ought to live our lives in this way, it's very surprising to think about who else God might be inviting to his kingdom. It'll certainly be people you least expect. Those are the people that the word goes out to. Those are the people to whom we should share generous, generously in the gifts that God has given us. Those are the people who need to hear because the invitation is for them. The banquet has been prepared. And it is a wondrous banquet. So it's not just about eating food in the kingdom of God, but that banquet, as Isaiah says, is a banquet at which every tear will be wiped from our eyes. The dead will be raised and we will live in joy forever in the kingdom of God. So here's what you do. You live your life now as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You live your life now as people who are going to a banquet and you rejoice even today because you right now eat bread in the kingdom of God. May the peace of God which passes all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.